Hi, I'm Alexandra Yuhas. This is the sixth emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now. The podcast engages in radical digital media literacy by enjoying a bite of education and a bit of poetry, creating humane responses to fake news and social media in the era of COVID-19. This extra episode is made during an enduring time of uprising following the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and countless other African Americans at the hands of the police. As protests continue daily here in Brooklyn, I reached out to Francis Negron Montana, a filmmaker, writer, and scholar whose work focuses on a comparative exploration of coloniality, primarily in Puerto Rico and the United States, with special attention to the intersections between race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, and politics. We've known each other since we were both making and writing about AIDS activist video in the 1980s. In 2016, she sent me an announcement about her contribution to the Visible Poetry Project, Innocence Nevermore, a short video featuring New Yorican poetry legend Tato Laviera. That video became the 82nd hard truth of my online primer pulling words straight from his poetry. Explain your irrational destruction before the eyes of humanity. For this emergency podcast, I asked Frances to expand. Would she be willing to address the hard truths Black Lives Matter, particularly as it connects to artistic invocations against vicious impotence and racialized, gendered violence? We met and recorded over Zoom. She begins by explaining how she came to work with Tato. Hi, Francis. Thank you so much for agreeing to have a conversation with me about an art video that you made about Tato Laviera's poem. Can you tell me how you came across this poem to begin with and why you made an art video about it? Yes, well, it was an unusual story because I was shooting in New York City about two weeks after 9-11, and I was looking for uh, represent and inquire into how Latinos had responded or had been affected by 9-11. And I was walking down the streets of East Harlem in El Barrio, and I ran across Tato Laviera, who was just hanging out. And I explained to him what I was doing in the city. And he said, oh, well, I have a 9-11 poem. Do you want to hear it? And I said, sure, I want to hear. I knew Tato's work and I knew him personally from before. And, And he just gave a preamble before he went into it. He said, you know, 9-11 really hurt me personally because although I spent my whole life criticizing New York hierarchies of race and colonialism, that attack was an attack on my work to make New York a better place. And then he started sharing the poem. And after that, we agreed that we would bring him into the studio and do a bit of a performative staging of the poem and document it. And in retrospect, I'm really glad I did that because I realized after we edited the piece that this might be the most resourced documentation of a Tato La Vida poem that exists. Bomba Boricua! The day that the United States lost its innocence. In a cruel September 11, 2001 historical massacre, the World Trade Center marketed 
as one acre per floor with no central steel beams supporting its 220 stories a devastating megabomb. megabomb. 157 human atoms aboard, aboard two domestic planes penetrated the Twin Towers steel ready coffin. A devil cauldron plotted with synchronized exactness. Curved, winged, poisonous, dark, aerial death ballet witnessed by the celestial planetarian plunged United States on the fire. Paralyzing world and national psych. Manhattan Island, a battleground zero. Confetti of tears. Cemetery of candles. Poster trip, poster trip, wall of respect, wall of respect, beloved, beloved photograph, photograph urgent, urgent request, carved in paper stones, outpouring of naked sadness, looking, looking for, for miracles, miracles, rescue turned to recovery, ash laden carnage, evaporated humans, particle remnants of one million body parts. Metropolis cars of destruction, gathering of humanity, healing laments, consoling souls, army of volunteers, Red Cross blood, food, water supplies, counseling armed with prayer, peace, God's potent weapon, we became a collective consciousness of one. A new era of working class, simple patriots supplanting Hollywood's caricatures New York skyline, postcard, odorous, Wall Street stench, death smoke, companion to Lady Liberty. And now we close ranks to our borders, expired visas, deportations, our resolve. Liberty's shores closed the day our civilians were found. Terrorists implanted psychological warfare, military presence, acupuncture, nerves, prejudice, profiling, mistrust. Living cells are living in your middle-class community, common suspects of our daily outing, trip search, detained, rampant fear, hunting our central nervous systems. But we must not become vigilantes and discriminators. Time is short. 62 countries lost citizens in the rampage, but we demand justice. Explain your irrational destruction before the eyes of humanity. 6,000 body bags are empty, are empty and, waiting. and waiting. Educate us to your vile gutter warrior gutlessness, to the rationalization of your vicious impotence. Pay! The well justice sentence of your crime. Reform your hatred for our children's sake, for your children's sake, in the name of all, in the name of Allah, in the name of God. Love knows no compromise. Love knows no compromise. Listening to it now and looking at it now, um, I see some resonances with the current juncture. And I just want to mention a few of them that I think are good to think with right now. One of them is this very idea of lost innocence, which is at the core of his text. The idea that there's a moment of reckoning where people awaken to a certain knowledge. And I think the knowledge that some people might be awakening at the current moment is what I would say the coloniality of U.S. society. 
And by that, I mean, despite the fact that the U.S. is an independent nation state, we are still a colonial society. The hierarchies that organize social, political, and economic life are rooted in the same categories, epistemologies, and uh, power relations that are the foundation of settler colonialism in this part of the world. That's not particular to the U.S., we should add. Uh, it is true, I believe, of all of the Americas, and it's true of most of the world. The second thematic that I find resonant right now is this notion of loss of life or the politics of life. Like I've been working a lot in Puerto Rico for the last few years as austerity, debt crisis, climate change, and, and other forms that directly implicate life uh, and the politics to preserve life have come to the fore. But in his text, he's asking, what are the politics and the calculations of life? And today we have a movement that centered on the notion of Black Lives Matter. This is another example of how we are still in a colonial moment. By that, I mean that a society in which people have to say Black Lives Matter is a society that's still colonial in the sense that it's still founded on the hierarchies of humanity that were established by colonialism. Black Lives Matter is a decolonial demand of a colonial society. In the text, there's also a moment where he talks about working class heroes versus Hollywood caricatures. And in the 9-11 juncture, he's referring fundamentally to firefighters and to some extent police officers as these working class heroes that are showing that that's the way that everyday heroism looks like, not the way that Hollywood represents it. Obviously, in this current juncture, police officers are very much a center of critique to the ways that they embody coloniality. But others have come to the center, like nurses and doctors, healthcare providers, messengers, people who move life-affirming and life-necessary things through the city, and bringing the question of essential or non-essential. And it's interesting that in the current moment, a lot of funders and others in general are suggesting that the arts are non-essential, that poetry might be considered non-essential. I, I believe Tato Lavira would very much disagree with that for the same reason I do, uh, which is that without poetry, without the arts more generally, uh, we lose a vital space for resignification, for providing ourselves with new vocabularies and new perspectives to act from. So in that sense, the arts are essential, as, as, as nurses and doctors and others are also. For instance, if you look at Latino social movements of the 60s and 70s to the present, poetry has played an enormous role. It's partly because it's succinct, and in the case of uh, Puerto Ricans, very much rooted in oral traditions, not only written. It was originally conceived to be shared to a group, and in the process of sharing that, creating community. So it's pretty inconceivable to think that any of these social movements without the component of poetry, you just can't separate the two. And then the last thing I want to comment that to me resonates very strongly between that text and the present is Tato Laviera's emphasis on love. At the moment, not very many people were talking about decolonial love as a horizon of possibility as they are now. But if you look at the way love's figures in a lot of Tato's work, I think the, the concept or the way he uses it is quite similar. 
Uh, and by that, I mean that decolonial love poses the possibility of an ethical world by reckoning with the colonial past, not ignoring it, but also acknowledging that it's the present. So decolonial love could be returning native lands, abolishing the police, abolishing ICE, formerly decolonizing Puerto Rico, that will all be categorized as acts of decolonial love. And I think that's very much a concept that's necessary in the present. When I first came across your video poem, the phrase that I pulled out, which seemed extremely important at the time, because at that moment in the first hundred days of the Trump presidency, he was threatening to drop a bomb on Korea. <laughs> he was jangling and being a warmonger. The, the phrase that I chose as a hard truth was, educate us to the rationalization of your vicious impotence explain your irrational destruction before the eyes of humanity. Does that line from his poem say anything to you right now, this moment in history and where we are either with Trump, Trumpists, other totalitarian dictators, or the insurrection currently under the banner Black Lives Matter, which people are demanding explanations very much. I mean, I think that one of the aspects of this insurrectionary juncture is that people often associate it with statements and demands, but it's also a moment of questioning. One of those central questions is, yes, explain how is it possible that this exercise of power is conducted, reproduced, it's legal, it's protected. And I think from the Puerto Rican perspective, all of its history has been asking this question as one of the few remaining formal colonies in the world. So it's not only a place subject to the colonial power or the categories of epistemologies and, and hierarchies that were founded in colonialism. It's also formally still a colony subject to the United States. So this location makes you ask that question all the time. And in the last decade, under austerity and the indifference and criminal neglect uh, of the U.S. government after uh, Hurricane Maria, and the swarm of earthquakes most recently, and COVID, you know, I think this question comes again with more and more force by people who want to live. So this demand on power is a demand that comes from, we want to rethink what power is and how is it exercised and by whom and who does it benefit? What else can we do in this current juncture to be more ambitious about how we transform this society? What are the physical, emotional, imaginative infrastructures that we need to fully decolonize the U.S.? A process that I see as implicating all the hierarchies of power that include race, but also class and gender and sexuality and other aspects of our subjectivity, all of which are subject to colonial power in the sense that I've defined it. How do you think about the relationship between Puerto Ricans, Latinos more broadly, and the, the politics and demand Black Lives Matter? In the current moment, I, I think that Black Lives Matter has had a number of impacts on Latinos and Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico and in the United States. One of those impacts has been to ask, what is the role of Latinos in these conversations of race and these struggles about race? And that's quite complex. For instance, I've been in conversations in places like Miami, where I hear light-skinned Latinos say that what they feel is racist is that 
white, meaning Anglo, so-called Anglo white, exclude them from the category of whiteness. So it's not so much that the hierarchy should be dismantled. It's more like we perceive that we belong at the top of the hierarchy, but we are not included. And that is what is racist. Whereas there's other parts of the country where the conversation has been more about the ways that there is a Black history throughout the Americas. For instance, part of my work on our Arthur Schomburg, Arturo Alfonso Schomburg, is to a large extent part of that story. To how is it that we think about Blackness in the United States that incorporates the fact that the Black narrative in the United States is not homogeneous, that it includes people from Latin America, people from Africa, increasingly also people from Europe. Black Lives Matter mobilizations, not only in the U.S., but worldwide, have provided an opportunity for activists to bring race to the forefront of discussion. So, for instance, organizations like La Colectiva Feminista in Puerto Rico, who has some of its leadership are women who are Black Puerto Ricans. They have used this as an opportunity to call attention to the ways that uh, racism operates in Puerto Rico, which are often dismissed or overlooked. In fact, I saw a, a show the other day about it in Puerto Rican media where the anchors were pretty much asking, does racism really exist in Puerto Rico? Just because more people are included in the white category, according to Puerto Rican racial schemes, doesn't mean that the general rationalization and perspective is not racist. It just has different criteria for inclusion rather than it's less racist. So there's been conversations about, as a result of Black Lives Matter juncture, in Latino communities to think about, well, well, how about the racial politics of our community, which are related to the racial politics with the larger society or other groups in the United States, but also has dynamics of its own. Thank you, Francis, for your thoughtfulness, for your work, for your analysis, for your knowledge, and for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Explain your irrational destruction before the eyes of humanity. 6,000 body bags are empty and and waiting. Educator. Thank you for listening to this emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now. Black Lives Matter. Explain your irrational destruction before the eyes of humanity. We have heard the poetry of New Yorican poetry legend Tato Labiera and filmmaker Francis Negron's thoughts about the physical, emotional, imaginative infrastructures that we need to decolonize ourselves and our country. As she insists, poetry is part of this, helping us to articulate and then create new realities, new vocabularies, and new ways of being in community. This episode was produced, written, and read by Alexandra Juhas. It was directed and edited by Matthew Hiddle and copy-edited by Gavin McCormick. Music by Noah Chevin. Social media assistance by Julia Gill. Performances by Tato Labiera, Tato Torres, and Francis Necron Muntanen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>